Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. This is the time of year that's cold and flu season where you can start to get some sniffles. Uh, your nose can begin to run. You start to get that, that headache and you start to develop that cough and you're thinking, oh no, what is going on? And maybe somebody in your family and uh, they start to do this and you're thinking, oh boy, are you sick? I don't know. I don't know if I'm sick or not. And the question that usually comes is, well, do you have a temperature? Anybody ever asked that question before? Have you ever thought about what we mean is do you have a fever, right? Because it's really quite silly to think, do you have a temperature? I hope everybody in here has a temperature. I mean, that's really quite silly. But we say that, do you have a temperature? And what we're really asking is, do you have a fever? What is your temperature? And we know that 98.6 is considered normal, but anything above that, and you have a fever that could indicate some kind of infection or that there is some kind of problem or something that is wrong. And what do we do when we want to do that? We get out the what? The thermometer. So today, as we examine the letter that we're going to look at today here in Dear Church, it talks about temperature. And the Lord is basically taking out a thermometer and he stuck it in the mouth of this particular church that he's writing to. And he says, Houston, we've got a problem. There is sickness in your church. There's something wrong. There's a problem going on. And so over the last seven weeks, we've been looking at the seven letters written to the churches across what is now modern-day Turkey or Eurasia area. And uh, the Apostle John had seen a vision, and the Lord said, I want you to write down, I've got a message. I'm concerned about the churches across this area, and I've got a message. And I want you to write it down, and I want you to circulate it. And so in kind of a postal delivery way, and uh, not an Amazon way, but they kind of went around and they had a particular delivery option and they would go around. And so we're at our final church here, but we began with Ephesus. It had been active, it had been busy, it had been serving, but in its serving and busyness, it had forsaken its first love relationship with the Lord. He says, I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. In Smyrna, it was a persecuted church. It was a church that needed to be encouraged, and in their persecution, there was, a, there was great poverty. And so physically, and, and here, there was a lot of poverty, but the Lord says, though you believe you are poor, I look at you and I see that you are rich. And we learn that sometimes the perspective that the Lord has is different than the perspective that we have in our current circumstances and situations Pergamum was a church that faced pressure to compromise from the culture on the outside while the the church of Thyatira was threatened to tolerate wickedness and wrong teaching that had come from within. Sardis had a reputation of being alive, but the Lord said, you are spiritually dead. And last week we took a look at Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, a church that, again, was persecuted, faced difficulty, and had little strength was thought of as weak and small, and yet the Lord had a different perspective once again. He said, you are strong. You are strong. Once again, many of these churches, the way they were perceived or the way that they perceived themselves was the opposite of the way that the Lord viewed them. And although they don't recognize their sickness, the Lord inserts the thermometer today and tells the church that we're looking at today, the church of Laodicea, you are unhealthy. And as we look at this church, let me encourage you today 
to ask the Holy Spirit to stick the thermometer in your spiritual life and to take your temperature. And I want the Lord, I want you to be open and say, God, what is the spiritual temperature of my life? What's the spiritual temperature of my heart? And open my eyes to my spiritual condition today. Let's begin today. We're in Revelation chapter 3 as we begin to land the plane on our Dear Church series. Revelation chapter 3, we're going to begin in verse 14. And it says this, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Before we get in, let's bow our heads today and ask the Holy Spirit to be with us. Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, some of the messages in these letters are not easy for us to read. They're not easy for us to receive. Sometimes we have a different view of our spiritual condition. Today, Father, we ask you to open up our eyes to the spiritual condition of our hearts, to the spiritual temperature of our hearts, that, Lord, you would reveal to us what you desire, where we're at, and what you are calling us to. We ask for your anointing on your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The letter is organized today uh, in, in an interesting way. Uh, unlike some of the other churches where the Lord begins not only with sharing his character as he does here, he then moves to a place where he does a, he commends the church for something before moving into some criticism in, of some areas that are there. With this particular church, there is not a commendation. There is nothing praiseworthy, in fact, of what's going on in this church. And so he moves right into the first part by talking about the condition that Christ finds them. The condition that Christ finds them. And there, there are two main conditions the Lord has when he's diagnosing this church. As we've mentioned, the first one is the spiritual temperature of the church. The Lord is taking the thermometer and sticking it in and he's saying, there's a problem. You, you, you've got a temperature issue. And as he takes the temperature of this church, he doesn't find them to be hot. He doesn't find them to be cold. Rather, he finds them to be in a condition that he calls lukewarm. And like all the other churches, he begins by saying, I know your deeds or I know your works. Now, I want to comment again that Jesus is not speaking to unbelievers. Rather, he is writing to his church. I want you to look at that as you read this. I want you to read this text and as you hear it, look at it through the lens so that he's talking to believers and not as those who do not believe. And it's critical to understand that this is not a matter of salvation. When he's talking to them about being neither hot nor cold but lukewarm, he's not dealing with salvation. Rather, he's dealing with the spiritual fruit of those who claim to have received God's gracious gift of salvation. If we're truly saved, the Bible says that we ought to keep fruit, uh, keep fruit in keeping with repentance or produce fruit in keeping with repentance. That's Matthew 3.8. 
We'll be judged by the believers at what Paul says in Corinthians is the Bema seat judgment. It's different than the white throne judgment, which is a judgment between those who put their faith in Christ, those who believe, those who have been born again, and those who do not. They will stand before what's called the white throne judgment. But what we're talking about here is that all believers will one day stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will give an account. We will give an account of how we live our lives after we have received the gracious gift of salvation. It's not a salvation issue. It is a works issue, a fruit issue that ought to, be, that ought to come as a result of being born again. As a result of receiving the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, there ought to be fruit that comes out of our lives. So in keeping with his word, Jesus addresses the deeds of this church and he says, you're not hot, you're not cold, you're lukewarm. In other words, the church is compromised and the temperature that they have is not one way or the other. It's having their feet in both places. To fully understand what is meant by lukewarm, you have to understand some history and some geography of this particular church. So we're going to do a history and geography lesson. Don't go to sleep on me, all right? This particular city had no water supply within the city. In fact, it was built to be a, 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 a military city, but they had one problem. When they built it, there was not a water supply, and so the Lycos River, which ran uh, through the city, was described as turbid with white mud, nauseous and undrinkable. The neighboring city of Colossae to the east was watered by a cold mountain stream. Heropolis to the north sat on a natural hot spring, uh, which was believed to have medicinal qualities but not Laodicea. In order to understand Laodicea, they obtained their water through an aqueduct that they had made running from the hot spring that was located five miles to the north. The water was scalding hot when it entered the aqueduct, but you know what happens over great distances, right? It's not that complicated. When the water would begin to leave and it would have to travel those five miles, how many know what happens to water when it has to travel? It cools down, right? Or if it's coming from Colossae and the water would begin to come from Colossae, it's ice cold. But what happens when ice cold water has to travel very far and it's not insulated? It becomes lukewarm. Thus, this was an illustration of what was happening in the city. As the water would enter the city, it was no longer really hot. It was no longer really cold. It was lukewarm. And therefore, it was undrinkable. There are two ways of understanding this passage. There's a traditional way in which God would rather have us as a red-hot, passionate for Christ, or he'd rather have us as, as an agnostic or somebody that's completely cold as a sinner. Now, I don't know about that. He'd rather have you an all-out saint and an all-out sinner. That's one of the traditional views of that, but I, I don't know if I can buy that. I think there's a problem with that. That would mean that the Lord would be happy if we embrace evil. I, I, don't, I don't know that I can buy that. However, you know, I think if we look at that, there might be some truth. Because if you're outright cold, maybe perhaps like Saul of Tarsus, you might be more sensitive to hear his voice than if you're in a lukewarm situation where everything is nice and cozy and you feel like you have your religion and everything is just okay because I got religion, man. It's all good. Life is good. But the second way of looking at this passage is to consider the geography of the area that might suggest that an alternative to what the Lord meant when he said, I'd rather have you hot or cold. There are two towns, as I mentioned, to Laodicea. Again, to the northeast was Heropolis. 
and, and it was noted for its steaming sulfur hot water. It provided baths who needed like a jacuzzi-like temperature and was known to have some medicinal qualities to it. Kind of like sitting in, in a nice, you, you know, your muscles are really sore and need to get in that nice, warm, steamy, hot bath. You're like, oh, man, this feels so good, right? We call it today a spa, right? Anybody in need of a spa day? Yeah, all right, yeah, there's a few hands that went up. Some of you just don't want to admit it. You need a spa day. And then there's, then on the south, we mentioned there was Colossae and uh, the city of Colossians. That's where, when Paul wrote the letter to the Colossians, this was where he was writing to. It was known for its pure cold water. And how many of you have ever worked out or, or you've had, it's just been a really hot day. You've been out working out all day. You're sweating. There is nothing that is better than a nice cold glass of water, right? Just, just totally refreshing. So, so here's what the Lord could be saying to this church. You know what? I've sent to you some people who are weary. They're weary in spirit, but the atmosphere that you have is lukewarm, and it's, un, it's unable to really breathe life into those tired muscles. You know what? There is not enough heat in you. There is not enough heat in you in order for those folks who come in, for them to, that are weary and down and in need of just a refreshing of their muscles, there's just not enough. You, you don't have enough heat to be able to do that because you're lukewarm. Or perhaps there are those who are just spiritually thirsty, but you're not cold enough to be able to satisfy the, the spiritual thirst and to quench the thirst. You're just lukewarm. You're just coasting along. And because of that, I'm not happy. And the Bible says, I will spew you out of my mouth. Better more than spit. Some translations say spit. It's spew. It's, it's gross. It's vomit. It's, it's blah, you know. You ever like taking it, maybe you let your coffee sit too long and you just didn't realize that it had been sitting that long and it, was, it wasn't warm, it wasn't, you know, we like iced coffee, we like hot coffee, but that stuff in the middle, you know, you go, oh, what was that? You, you know, you want to spit it all over the place. That's what the Lord's talking about. And this would fall in line with the imagery here of the lampstand and the light of the world influencing the ministry effectiveness in the church in which they were planted, that if you don't, I'll remove your lampstand. He's saying here, I will spit you out of my mouth. Why? Because God wants the church to be in a place where, where people can find the love and the warmth of Christ, the healing and the refreshment that comes from the living water, Jesus Christ. That's what he wants. But if we're a church filled with compromise, we're going to be ineffective, we're going to be ineffective and unable to reach those that the Lord is drawing to himself. The condition of this church was much like the water of the city. It, didn't, it wasn't hot enough to provide healing. It wasn't hot enough for those medicinal qualities, but it wasn't cold enough to provide refreshment on a hot day. Therefore, it was useless. And the church that is neither hot nor cold, the church that is coasting in lukewarmness is a church that is ineffective and a church that is not able to provide what the Lord desires when he brings those that are in need. Lukewarm is noncommittal. Lukewarm is one foot in, it's one foot out, it's, it's standing on the proverbial fence. It's half-hearted, it's double-minded, it's the antithesis of what Jesus modeled and everything that he stood for when he called to us. Hebrews 12, 2 says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Let me tell you something about Jesus. When it came to Jesus, Jesus didn't hold anything back. He wasn't lukewarm. He wasn't holding anything back. God doesn't hold out on us, friends. In fact, I love Psalm 84, 11 that says, No good thing will God withhold for those who walk uprightly before him. 
Friends, I'm going to tell you something. God is not holding out on you, and he doesn't want us to be a church that holds out on him. He doesn't want us to be a church that settles back into lukewarmness, that settles back into a comfortable religion. Oh, I got my comfortable pace. Oh, I got my comfortable friends. Oh, I'm good. I'm fine. And neither hot nor cold. The Lord isn't looking for that. A lot of us think that, that we're following Jesus, but in reality, we've invited Jesus to follow us. We're not serving him. We're not serving his purposes. We want him to serve our purposes. That's lukewarm. One last thing. In a letter in a Birmingham jail on April of 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote these words. He said, there was a time when the church was very powerful and a time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. And here's the question. Are we a thermometer, or uh, that is, a thermometer just kind of reflects the temperature of the room. Whatever the temperature is, that's what I reflect. So if the temperature of the room is positive, I'll be positive. If the temperature of the room is negative, I'll jump in and I'll be negative. It'll kind of impact me one way or the other, and I'm just a thermometer. I'm just going to tell you whatever the temperature of the room is, or are we a thermostat? And a thermostat, when you place a thermostat, you can control the temperature. You want it to be hotter, you bump it up. You want it to be cooler, you bump it down. But basically, the, 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 the thermometer, uh, it just takes the temperature where the thermostat impacts the temperature. And the church is not called to be a thermometer. The church is called to be a thermostat. We're to influence the temperature of the world around us because of what Jesus Christ has done. The condition that he found them in and the temperature of their church was that of being lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold, nothing in between. The second condition that he examined was not only the temperature, but he examined their vision, the spiritual vision of the church. Their condition, their, their first condition dealt with their spiritual temperature. The second condition dealt with their spiritual vision. They had a problem with the way that they had saw themselves in their lukewarm condition. They were blind and they thought, hey, we're okay. Everything's okay. We have everything that we need. And he said, you're wrong. You have a problem. You can't see it because you're spiritually blind. This is what he says, verse 17. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. To fully understand the context of this, let me give you a little background on the city of Laodicea. Again, another history lesson. Laodicea was widely known for its black wool and for its medical school, which produced an effective eye salve, which was in wide demand throughout the Roman world, with very few effective treatments around. This was one of the ones that was in high demand. And although it was hard, although it was hard hit by the same earthquake that we talked about last week that had hit the city of Philadelphia in AD 17, Laodicea received limited financial aid from the Roman government. And this city was so wealthy, it had enough not only to meet its own needs and to rebuild, but also enough to be able to send to other cities to help them rebuild. So it was a very wealthy city. So you might say that Laodicea was kind of a Bank of America, a Macy's department store, and a Mayo Clinic or a Cleveland Clinic rolled all into one. And there was a difference, because Jesus said, you say, and you are. How I many know sometimes there's a difference between what we say and what we are? And sometimes we can't see it. We can't see those things. He says, you say, but you are. 
Your condition is blind. You're a city that thrives on its wealth, its eye salve. You, you, you have black wool to make clothing, and yet you have all of this, and you say, we are in need of nothing, and I'm telling you, you have it wrong. You are poor. You're blind, and you're naked. How can this be? How can this be the spiritual condition? How can they be so blind to their lukewarm living? Well, I think it's something that Moses talked about and he warned the Israelites about in the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. They wandered around, remember, they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years. They had been slaves in, in Egypt. Miraculously, God had delivered them and had brought them out of Egypt. But while they were a slave people, they learned to rely on Pharaoh to be their source. They learned to rely on Egypt to be their source. He was their source of providing, even though they were slaves, he provided them the food that they had. He provided them with the materials to be able to do their labor. He provided them, they provided them with their protection against outside enemies. They were slaves, but Egypt provided everything so when God delivered them and they came out on the other side they went through a very difficult time of trying to learn who would now be their source and if you remember when they came out all of a sudden water was lacking we don't have enough water and they began to moan and they began to complain and then they didn't have enough food and all oh, they began to moan and they began to complain and they said it was better for us where in Egypt why because Egypt was their source and he says no I'm gonna give you a new source watch me provide I'm gonna take you over here and I'm gonna turn the bitter waters here I'm gonna turn them around and I'm gonna give you something to drink you know what I'm gonna give you food to eat I'm gonna give you this stuff called manna that's gonna come down every day in the morning you gather only what you need don't don't even don't just trust me day by day I'm gonna teach you how to how to eat from me day by day that I'm your source day by day the Lord said I'm gonna protect you from your enemies and I'm gonna give you a law and I'm gonna be your God and I'm gonna protect you and I'm gonna I'm gonna teach you that I'm your source and for 40 years God provided for them manna from heaven when they needed he provide quail and meat for them to eat when he needed, he provided water for them. He provided protection for them to the very shoes and the very clothing that they had never wore out the entire 40 years that they wandered in the wilderness. How I many know that's good stuff, isn't it? God was teaching them, I'm your source. But here's the problem. They were, on the, they were on the verge now of going into the promised land. And Moses was concerned about something. That when they experience a season of victory and when they went in and they received the promises of God and received peace from their enemies, he had a warning for them. Deuteronomy 8, 11 to 17, take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who, who uh, excuse me, who brought you out, uh, who brought you water, excuse me, out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end and then listen to this beware lest you say in your heart my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth here's the problem with Laodicea how did Laodicea enter into lukewarmness Laodicea entered into lukewarmness when they began to take the blessings that God had given them, the peace that God had given them, the wealth that God had given them, the provision that God had given them, the health that God had given them, and they said, we don't need God. 
we have everything we need. That's when we enter into lukewarmness. When our eyes shift off of what God can do and what God is doing for us and we, we, we lose that sense of gratitude and thankfulness and praise, we lose that sense of reliance upon the Lord and we learn to rely on ourselves and our own resources. You will move into spiritual lukewarmness when you begin to rely on yourself as the source or you begin to rely on society around you as a source. I'm so grateful when our economy here in America is doing well and at the same time I'm not because when the economy is not doing well, people flock to the church, they flock to prayer. Oh, we need something. Oh, provide. Oh, how can this be? Oh, I don't have my job. Oh, I don't have my health. Oh, I don't have this. Oh, there's this problem. Oh, Lord. And then all of a sudden God answers prayer. Things get better and everybody's like, well, I don't need God. Is there a God? Really? I don't know there's a God. 9-11 9-11 happens, everybody flocks to the church. A couple years later, everybody's away. Well, we need God to protect us. Oh, God, we come over and This is a cycle that's been going on and on and on and on and on. Why? Because we don't recognize our lukewarmness. We don't recognize our spiritual, our spiritual vision. We're not able to see our spiritual condition the way that the Lord has, and we move into relying on our own resources, and it leads to comfort and complacency, and we're ineffective. So the second part of this letter, the second part here, and I'll use C's today, the condition that Christ finds us in is that we are spiritually lukewarm in the middle. We have no passion. We're not excited. We, our relationship with the Lord is not, we're not close at all. We're just kind of coasting. And our, and our spiritual vision is that we don't need the Lord. We got everything we need. And he says, you're wrong. Let me give you some counsel. So number two is counsel, the counsel Christ gives And he says this, Revelation 3, 18 and 19, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. He's not doing this in an angry manner. Look at this. He says, those I love... Those I love, I discipline. Pastor James just opened up this morning by by talking about the love of the Lord endures forever. In all of those circumstances, the love of the Lord endures forever. God is not doing this to be angry. He's doing this because he recognizes there is something better and there is something more that we can experience than what we've learned to rely on. There's something better than lukewarm living. And, and, and as we look at this letter, it opens, and we look at the aspects of the character of Jesus as it pertains to the church. And some of the aspects of his character right in the beginning were these things. He says to them that, that I am the amen. I am the faithful and true, and I am, listen, I'm amen. I'm the faithful and true. I'm the beginning of all creation. Let me, let me break it down. Here's what amen. Amen is something that's more than just you say at the end of a prayer. You know, oh, you know, Amen. We prayed, da, 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 thank you, amen. It's, what, what does amen mean? Amen means so be it. it. It's the last word. It's the first word. Jesus says, listen, when I say the amen, if I say something and my promises are there and I say it's going to happen, when I say amen, so be it. It is done. 
The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. And you need to understand, church of Laodicea, who says that you are rich and that you, you, you have great clothing and you, you can see and you're in need of nothing. I'm about to tell you something. You do need something. And what you need is me. You're coasting along in lukewarmness, but I'm the amen. I'm the last word. What I see says, because I'm also faithful and true, I see all and I know all and I am the truth. And finally, I'm the beginning of all creation. Not that he was created, as the NIV kind of indicates. It's like John 1.1 1, 1 that says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What it means is this. All of these names go together, and what it means is, is that Jesus is the source of all creation. In him and through him, all things were made, and without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus is the source. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the amen. So be it. So be it. The church has gotten away from that. They've forgotten their source. Started to rely on their own strength. And as a result, they became lukewarm and ineffective. And Jesus counsels them to return to him as their source. Because he has what? He has what they need to provide for their needs. He's got great resources. He's got the wealth that they need. Not the wealth of the city of Laodicea, but he's got the true wealth that they need. He's got the true clothing that they need. Not their own wool, not their own. He's got the eye salve to open up their eyes. Gold refined in the fire is a reference to faith, which Peter tells us that gold is refined in the fire and says more precious than even the gold that perishes, though it be tried by fire. See, faith is at the heart. It's learning to trust and to lean on God as the substance of our lives. And he says, come on, let me refine you. Come on, let me refine you. Let me purify you. Let me make you gold refined in the fire. He says, let me cover the shame of your nakedness. I remember when Adam and Eve had sinned against God. They were hiding. They realized for the first time, whoa, we're naked. We got to cover up. We got to find something. So what they do, they went and they got these fig leaves. They tried to sew them together. Why? Because they were trying to cover what? Shame. Shame. Shame is a big thing in our society. Shame impacts a lot of people. Shame impacts a lot of things. Shame is what leads to a lot of depression. It what leads to a, to a lot of reaction. It's shame. And we're always looking to figure out how we can cover our shame. And sometimes we deny the shame. We want people to accept the issue that we're feeling ashamed about, our sin, whatever we're doing. We want somebody to normalize it and to say, no, you're, you're okay. You're okay. You, you, don't have any, you don't have a problem. You're okay. You're okay. You don't, you don't have shame. You're okay. That, that's what we're looking for. You know, and we try to figure out other ways to do it. We try to make laws that say, you're okay. We try to, we try to come up with, with a lot of media hype to say, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. That, what do you mean sin? That's hate stuff. You're, you're okay. Oh, you can live this way. Everybody lives this way. You're okay. What are we trying to undo? We're trying to undo shame. And that's what Adam and Eve, they were trying to figure out how to cover their own shame and do it their own way. But he says, listen, Laodicea, you think you're clothed. You think you've covered up your shame, but you haven't. It's still an issue for you. And I'm telling you, you've got to come to me. The wool that you have isn't enough. You've got to come and counsel and let me clothe you. And how was that? How did he clothe? How in the, how in the Old Testament? He said, listen, those, those fig leaves aren't enough. we got to sacrifice. And he provided for them animal skins. Why? It indicated a sacrifice because Jesus Christ is who we need to come to. He was the one that provided the covering for our shame by what he did on the cross. 
The church had forgotten that, and they moved towards covering their own shame by their own efforts, and they were naked, and they were spiritually blind. And he said, listen, if you need your eyes healed, you've got to come to me. I'm the one that can give you the vision that you need. I'm the one that can give you the vision. The heart is, is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? You can't know your own heart. Oh, just follow your heart. That is bad advice. That works in a Hallmark movie. That doesn't work. It doesn't work in real life. Your heart can deceive you. Your emotions can deceive you. Your emotions can easily be deceived. You need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, open up my eyes to my condition. And he calls them to repent. And then thirdly, the choice that Christ offers. This is the verse we absolutely love, Revelation 3.20. Come on, some of you can quote it. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, right? If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him, or as the King James Version says, sup with him and he with me. We, We often use this as a verse to invite people to come to Christ, but let me remind you again, he's writing this to his church. He's writing this to his church. Oh, does it apply to those that are unbelievers that don't know Christ? If you're an unbeliever here today, it very much applies to you. But the the first audience that he's writing to is the church. And he's saying, I stand at the door and knock. See, in their lukewarm condition, they didn't realize that Jesus was now on the outside. He was no longer on the inside. They hadn't recognized it. Here they were going through their life, doing their thing. They had their little meal that they had provided that they were comfortable with. They had their their stuff, their clothing there. They were on the inside. They were doing all their celebrating. Meanwhile, they were having their little Thanksgiving dinner, this little measly Thanksgiving dinner. And Jesus is on the outside, and they didn't even know it. See, that's the problem in a lukewarm condition. In a lukewarm condition, you don't realize that you have moved away from Jesus and that he is outside knocking, going, I'd like to come in because I've got a great feast I'd like to share. Oh, yeah, you're comfortable with your little what you can provide, but I'm telling you, I can provide something better. But the problem is, is I'm on the outside and you haven't let me in. You haven't let me in. Oh, come on. There's many reasons why Jesus might be on the outside knocking. I know people have closed the door on God. For some, it might be during a science class. They just couldn't reconcile what their teacher in that science class was teaching and what their Sunday school had been teaching, Sunday school teacher, and what they had learned growing up. And so they said, you know what, I I can't do it. I'm just closing the door. For someone they respect, maybe it was a pastor, maybe it was a priest, maybe it was somebody, spiritual mentor, they fell away from the Lord, they treated you badly, there was some kind of, and you said, you know what, I'm done with that church thing, I can't do that, a bunch of hypocrites, I'm closing the door on this, I'm just done. That might be a reason. Some, it's just the wear and tear of life. Things that come up, and we drift away, sometimes we just get comfortable and, and we just start to drift away from the Lord. And before we realize it, we're, we're in a lukewarm condition. We're not hot. We're not cold. We're lukewarm. And, and, and before we realize it, Jesus is on the outside. And that verse that we so often quote for people that don't know Christ, open the door of your heart to Christ, we don't realize that Jesus is outside knocking and saying, hey, I used to be in there. I'd like to come in again. Hey, I'm knocking at the door. I'm knocking at the door. I'd like to come in. Please, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. You can close the door on God. You can slam the door shut in God's face. But guess what? He's still on the other side. He is right there. He hasn't gone anywhere, and he won't. He is still knocking, friends. He's knocking. 
1854, a British artist by the name of William Holen Hunt painted his interpretation of Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. There's the picture of it right there. It's a picture of Jesus knocking on the door. And, uh, and, and it looks, you can see by all the growth, all the stuff that's growing up, it hasn't been opened in a while. All right? That's kind of the, 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 the part there. And, and here he is. He's knocking. It's, it's, a, it's a garden. It's overgrown. But I think the most significant detail and one that we might miss and one that really did not get explained right away until 50 years later, Hunt explained why. Somebody noticed, hey, I don't see a door handle on the outside of the door. I, I, don't see a, I don't see a handle on the outside of the door. And so they asked Hunt about it, and he said that's because the door of the heart can only be opened from the inside. And that's the choice. You see, in this letter that he writes to Laodicea, as a loving father, he's calling them to repent, and then he's giving them a choice, and he's saying, I'm knocking. I'm knocking on the door. I'm knocking on the door of your heart. <laughs> And I want you to let me back in. You've been relying on yourself. You've been living lukewarm. You've been doing it your own way. And I'm telling you that you're lukewarm. I'm telling you that you're blind. But I have what you need. And I've been knocking. And I'm going to keep knocking. And I want you to open up the door. Will you let me in? I want you to open up the door. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? Friends, can I invite you today to open the door of your heart? For some of you, it's the front door. For some of you, it is salvation. You, you've not opened up the door of your heart so that Jesus Christ can bring the reconciliation to God the Father that He desires to do. For some of you, you haven't felt that, that, complete, uh, that complete peace from guilt, that complete forgiveness from guilt, that covering from shame. And He's inviting you today saying, open up the door. Open up the door and let me in. Open up the door and let me in. For some of you, it might be another door. Maybe there's a closet door inside. You're lukewarm because you've been hiding some things. And Jesus is saying, will you open up that door? For some of you, it might be a door of pain. And you say, I'm, open, I'm good at everything except right here. I'm not letting you in. I've had too many people that have let me down. I'm not letting you in. And he says, no, you don't understand. I have what's needed to heal you. Open up that door and let me in. I have what I need to heal you. Will you open up the door and will you let me in? I want in that part of your life. Some of you are carrying burdens all by yourself and you've forgotten to lean on the Lord. And he's saying, will you open up the door of your heart and let me in? Let me heal you. Let me make you whole. A couple of months ago, I was introduced to a song written by Cody Carnes. It's called Run to the Father. In a few minutes, we're going to sing this song, but before we do, I want to read to you the first verse in the chorus. It says this, I've carried a burden for too long on my own. Come on, anybody? I wasn't created to bear it alone. Here it is. I hear your invitation to let it all go. Yeah, I see it now. I'm laying it down, and I know that I need you. And here's the chorus. I run to the Father. I fall into grace. I'm done with the hiding, no reason to wait. My heart needs a surgeon. My soul needs a friend. So I'll run to the Father again and again and again. Friends, we're going to sing this in just a moment. And as we sing, if there's a door in your heart that you need to open 
You've closed Jesus out. He's on the outside, and you can hear him today by his Holy Spirit. He's knocking, and he's saying, come on, I want in. Will you open it up to him? Will you run to the Father who loves you and who wants to be your source and your strength today, who wants to be your truth? Are you lukewarm? Is it time to run to the Father and let Him reignite the passion that you once had when you had first come to Christ and your sins were forgiven and you said, oh, this is amazing. I can't help talking about it. I just want to be in your presence. I just want to be in your word. But somehow along the line, it's just drifted away and you're lukewarm. He's knocking today and He's saying, will you open up and let me in? Will you run to me and let me embrace you again? Come on, let's run to the Father today. Let's run to the Father today. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.